So have you ever forgotten something important? Something, something really, really important that you really, really needed? Well, years ago, there was a story told about a man and his wife that were going on a trip. They got to the airport, and they're walking up to the counter, and they have all these bags, and the husband says to his wife, you know what, I wish we would have brought the piano. His wife says, sweetie, we, we have 16 bags between the two of us that we're about to take in and check in. Why in the world would you also want the piano? And her husband said, because the tickets are sitting on the piano. What if it's not plane tickets? What if it is 11.30 on Christmas Eve and you remembered that you forgot to get someone a gift? Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, no fear. There is a website that I think is lastminute.com. And so at the last minute, you can purchase someone an experience. You can get them a day at the zoo. You can get them a helicopter tour. You can get them a a trip on a, a riverboat cruise down the river. Now, the only thing is, it's, it's the Thames River. Yeah, all of those experiences are around London. So unless you're a person that you forgot is on their way to London or you know somebody who already lives over the pond, lastminute.com probably isn't going to help you too much. But never fear, I have other opportunities for you. One such that I came across this week, if you need a last-minute gift, the only thing you really need is a good gas station. I mean, solid gold, Right? I mean, there's always going to be a gas station open, right? I mean, somewhere, some way you can find a gas station. And gas stations today are fantastic. I mean, you can find bouquets of flowers. You can find your your favorite team hat in there. You can get a little holiday bottle of of 57, Heinz 57 sauce. You you can get a bag of king-size candy bars. And I'm going to tell you something. You give me a bag of king-size candy bars or a box of mostly fresh donuts from a gas station, and I'm telling you what, solid gold Christmas for me. That'd be a great gift. I'm I'm all about mostly fresh donuts. I like fresh ones too, either one. But there is a type of forgetting that's a lot worse than the shame of forgetting someone's Christmas gift. It's worse than forgetting to put salt in the gravy. It's worse than forgetting to put sugar in the sugar cookies. It's worse than forgetting the words of Jingle Bells. In fact, it's, it's so bad that you would forget this one thing or that any of us would forget this one thing because this one thing actually brings peace and happiness to our hearts and our minds and our souls. So, what kind of thing is this that we could forget? Well, let's find out. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Paul's writing to his friends in a place called Philippi, and, and he's writing to thank them because they had shared with him. The one thing that we can forget to do at Christmas or, or maybe any day of the year, we can forget to share. We can forget to share what we have And that impacts our lives. So what does it mean to share? Well, it means that you take something that you have and you give it to someone in some way, shape, or form. You may take a honey bun, cut it in half, and share it with someone. I wouldn't, but you may take a honey bun, cut it in half, and and share it with someone. It's an act of love. 
You might take something that you own and give it away. You might take something that you have access to and, and provide somebody else access to it. Sharing is something that can be part of any area of our life. And the old phrase goes, sharing is caring. Or sharing brings happiness. Or as Charles Schultz once wrote, love is sharing your popcorn. I don't know what that means, but he said it, and it seems to be a famous phrase. So share your popcorn this Christmas. Undoubtedly, it's very Christian. But you know what? Here's the thing. The Philippians were not sharing popcorn. They were sharing in affliction. Affliction. That's a great Christmas word, right? Have a holly jolly affliction. It's the best time of the year. I mean, affliction is, is not something that we sing carols about. Affliction is not something that we make a big deal about. And in the Greek language here, the, the word affliction, it can mean to crush the life. Maybe that sounds like this past week for you. Maybe you feel a little, little crushed under the weight of life. Maybe that's how Christmas is going for you so far. You're, you're feeling crushed under the weight. You're feeling crushed with stress or crushed with anxiety. You're feeling crushed with fear, crushed with worry, crushed with, with anger, crushed with grief. Paul was feeling crushed. He was having some affliction in his life. And what kind of affliction? Well, he was in prison. He, he was a prisoner, so that means that the normal freedoms and the, the normal comforts and the normal resources of his life, they were taken away from him. He was living on, on very limited freedom. <laughs> and what do we find him doing? We find him being grateful. Well, sure, that's what we do, right? When our freedoms are taken away, when our resources are taken away, when our comforts are taken away, we usually say, oh, thank you, Lord, I, I'm so, so glad. Now, if we're honest, usually if our freedoms and our comforts and our resources are taken away, we get angry, we get frustrated, we go on social media, and we, we put together some marvelous rants about everything that we don't like about our freedoms being taken away. But Paul, having almost all the freedoms of his life taken away, he's rejoicing. He's being grateful. Why? Because these people in this one place at this one church, they shared with him. They, they, they sent him some kind of gift. What kind of gift? We don't know. It could have been money, could have been food, could have been clothing, could have been a bag of king-size candy bars. I don't know, it might have been a Snuggie. I don't know. They sent him something, though. There, there, was, there was some kind of gift that they gave. And his response to that gift was, was thankfulness. He was, he was grateful. He was cheerful, even. Thomas Constable said this, the art of being a gracious, cheerful, thankful receiver may be even more difficult than being a cheerful giver. Why? Why would it be hard to be a, a good receiver? Well, it may be hard to be a good receiver of a gift because you don't like the gift, you know? Maybe it's a, a really ugly sweater, you know? Or maybe it's just some nasty gift that you really didn't want. Maybe you're a hard receiver of the gift because you were expecting another gift and you didn't get it. Or maybe you're a hard receiver of the gift because you, you weren't expecting a gift. You were kind of surprised, a little caught off guard. Or maybe even beyond that, you don't think you deserve a gift. You, you don't feel like that anybody should have given you anything. 
There's a lot of different reasons that we might find ourselves being uncheerful when it comes to receiving a gift. But it's still important that we try. Why? This is what Paul told the folks at Corinth. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If we profess to be a follower of Jesus, then we have to be thankful, cheerful people. Not, not perfectly. But when we receive things, when someone shares something with us, we need to be thankful. We need to be cheerful because it shows evidence that we're a Christian. And it also brings glory and fame and attention to God. Like Paul, we need to be thankful, cheerful receivers in the same way that we need to be cheerful givers. The folks at Philippi, they, they were particularly cheerful and thankful in giving. And, and Paul was so thankful for it because he knew he had not sent them a, a ministry update letter, you know, with a little stamped envelope that said, hey, this is what you can send your donation to so that you can help me in my ministry. Paul didn't do that. No, what they did is something super challenging for us. They took initiative. They didn't wait for someone to ask them. They, they took initiative. They said, what can we do to make a situation better? What can we do to bless someone? And what situation were they making better? Where they were making the situation better of someone who was proclaiming the gospel. They were making the situation better of someone who was making much of Jesus. They shared a practical material gift, something, some way, they shared because they knew Paul was making a big deal out of Jesus. Now, someone might be thinking, uh-oh, this sounds like he's getting ready to start preaching on giving money to the church. Oh, man, we should have stayed at home. Well, you know what's nice about preaching through chapters of the Bible or, or books of the Bible? You just kind of get to the next verse, you know. So this, these are just the next verses, you know, that we were at. Hadn't, hadn't steered clear. And, and these verses involve a gift of, of money or at least something that cost money. I came across some fascinating statistics. Um, I, I can't completely verify these, but I think they're pretty spot on. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught involve how to deal with money and possessions. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, one out of every 10 verses deals with money. There's, there's about 500 verses in the Bible about prayer and about 500 verses in the Bible about faith, but there's more than 2,000 verses in the Bible about how we deal with money and possessions. So if you get easily aggravated when a pastor or church brings up the issue of money, then you have to be easily aggravated with God and Jesus because they're the ones bringing it up. We're, we're just following along. So here's the deal. I'm not handing out some tickets for a Christmas guilt trip for giving money to the church, right? That's, that's not what we're doing. Now, I will say, by all means, if the Lord leads you, feel free to give a year-end gift. That's fine. Not opposed to that at all. But, but I'm not really going to talk about pressuring anyone to give as much as I want us to see what it means for us to give, why it's good for you to share, why it's great for your heart and your mind and your soul to share and to give. Listen to how Paul unfolds this with the Philippians. Verse 15, 
You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. So 10 years before Paul's writing this letter, he's, he's backtracking. He's going, you know, when I got there, and when I came to your country and your community where nobody had heard the gospel, and you heard the gospel for the first time, when I preached and proclaimed this great good news about Jesus, you heard it, you responded to it, and then he says, and you bought in. You, you bought in. You, you didn't have to be wooed. You bought in, and they began to invest and share in Paul's life and his ministry. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it was still a pretty brand new message in the world. And in many places, it was a dangerous message. So when they gave, when they shared, they were not expecting in any way, shape, or form that, that there was going to be a plaque for them on the outside of a building somewhere. Or that they were going to get a, a brick at the stadium. Or that they were going to get their name in some kind of ministry newsletter. No, they just knew they had to give. Why? Because they were saved. And, and being saved, it changes everything. Not perfectly, but being saved impacts the practical aspects of how you do life at home, how you do life at work, how you do life at school and every other place. It impacts how you deal with your family and your friends, with strangers, and it deals with how you deal with your time and your money. Being saved changes everything. Being rescued by Jesus changes everything. And Paul wanted them to know, I'm so glad you're sharing with me because it's evident that Jesus is doing great things in your heart. And he doesn't just want to send them a text with an emoji and a thumbs up saying thanks. He, he really wants them to, to feel his love. Look what he says next, verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. It's great. They weren't a, a one-hit wonder when it came to sharing. This was a practice of who they were. They were so burdened that other people would find the salvation that they found, that they wanted to engage, they wanted to participate. They felt like that Paul had this burden that people would hear the glory of the gospel. And they knew it wasn't just Paul's burden. It was their burden as well. See, we are all tempted to think, well, someone else is going to sign up. Well, someone else is going to volunteer. Well, someone else is going to step forward. Well, well, someone else is going to give. But if you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, then we should be just like the Philippians. We should take initiative. We should take initiative when it comes to the gospel. We should take initiative when it comes to, to sharing and giving and going and caring. We should step in and step up. We shouldn't wait for an invitation. Don't wait for something to be put in the bulletin. Don't wait for an announcement to be made. Don't wait for someone else to ask. And don't say, oh, well, that's what the pastor and the staff do. No, don't, don't do that for your sake. For your sake. Because the beauty of taking initiative it's again, it keeps you in the work and the presence and the glory and the power of the gospel. Don't wait. Step in. Find your place. Find your person. Find your ministry in the church, outside of the church, wherever it is. Find your place to engage in the work of the gospel. 
Paul said he was so thankful that the people in Philippi, Philippi were, were bearing the burden with him, so to speak. Well, what does that mean to bear the burden? When he was writing to the folks at Galatia, Paul said this, Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So what does it mean to, to bear something? It means to, to carry the load, to, to help carry the load. Here just in, in this room, I know some of your stories. And you know, this year, this week, maybe next week, there's some things that you're having a hard time carrying. The, the load, it feels a little too heavy. We can't carry all of the burden ourselves. We, we can't carry all the load of life ourselves. And what's the heaviest burden that each of us have? What's the heaviest burden that any person has? The heaviest burden that you have, the heaviest burden I have, the heaviest burden that anybody has is the burden of sin. Our rebellion against God is the heaviest thing that we carry. It's the heaviest thing in our life. It's the heaviest thing that we have to deal with. And that's why the folks in Philippi, they understood that because their burden of sin had been lifted. And so they said, we want to share with Paul. We want to engage with Paul because Paul's involved in something that's helping people be free from the burden of sin, free from the heaviness of sin, free from sin crushing their very soul. So they shared. They gave. Now, is the burden of sin the, the only burden that's out there? No. There's a lot of other burdens, right? There's the burdens of tragedy, the burdens of sickness, burdens of death, burdens of disease and divorce. Boy, there's a lot of burdens in life. There's a lot of things that we face and the list could go on. And sometimes we don't mean to, but we kind of, we convince ourselves that as long as we send flowers, or as long as we send a note, or as long as we send a text, or as long as we make a phone call, or maybe even bake a casserole or, or some kind of pie, th then that's good. That's fine. And let me tell you something. That's fantastic. I'm so thankful. Man, we are a casserole pie church, and I love it. Thank you. There are so many times that you go out of your way to meet people. There are so many people in this church that write notes to so many people, people they don't even know just to encourage them. There's a lot of people that call and visit and give voicemails and send emails. And so let me just say thank you, thank you, thank you for being a church that shares. But sometimes when it comes to worry and fear and guilt and anxiety and regret, a casserole won't work. We, we have to find ways to, to step in a little deeper, to come alongside people, to, to be in genuine, authentic relationships. And that takes time, and that takes energy, and it's a little bit harder. But if we'll pray about it, God will provide us those opportunities. He'll show us how we can serve one another. Again, some people say, well, now you went to seminary. That's what you're supposed to do, you know. That's what the staff is supposed to do. That, that's the job of the deacons. Listen, if, if I just took the needs of just our church just today, all right, let's not even go for a week. If I took the needs of our church just today 
And then I combine that with the needs of my immediate family. What's going on with my wife and my kids? What's going on with my aging parents? Today, my dad suddenly, after surgery Friday, is not going to be able to drive for a few weeks. That's turning my life upside down, you know? So immediate family, church family, extended family, strangers that I've met, even maybe today or, or that I'll meet this afternoon. And, and you begin to put on, it only takes about 4.3 seconds to know I cannot bear everyone's burdens. There's no one man, there's no one woman, there's no group of men, there's no group of women, there's no one or two committees that can bear the burdens in the life of a church. We all need to bear each other's burdens. We are all called to share in the crushing moments of life and the fantastic moments of life. We're called to share together. Now, someone might say, I, man, I can't, I can't bear somebody else's burdens. You know, you know how much is going on in my life? I have so many burdens in my own life. There's, there's no way that I can share anybody else's burdens. Can I just share just a, a quick story about a, a precious woman in this community named Dawn? If I have all of, of my math right, I believe Dawn recently lost her father here in the last few years to cancer. Her husband died last May, I believe, from cancer. And she just got some very difficult news on her cancer this week. But do you know that, that I watched Dawn pull up in the driveway of Henry Margaret Hull's house a few weeks ago with her car loaded down with paper products. And I walked out and she said, are you going in? I said, I can be. She goes, can you help me get this stuff in? She showed up just for a few seconds to bring a bunch of paper plates and napkins and whatever else she had in there because she knew it was a need that Margaret would have in the days ahead. That is someone who understands the power of what Paul said about Jesus. This is what Paul said about Jesus. Philippians 2. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. You got to look out for your own stuff, right? I'm not saying ignore your family, ignore everything else. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Can I just challenge us to, to maybe take a lead from Dawn and, and take a lead from what we see in Jesus and just test God's word? And no matter what your burdens are, would you look for someone else's burden to bear just, just a little bit and just, just see if God doesn't lift your burdens just a little more? Paul said, consider what your Savior has done in looking out for your interest and, and just look out for the interest of others. And what are we really doing when we bear one another's burdens? Well, Paul said we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Man, that sounds like a big deal, right? So what's the law of Christ? Well, we could say the law of Christ is all of the Bible, but let's, let's be a little more specific. John chapter 13, verse 34, this is what Jesus said. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Bearing one another's burdens, it's a reflection of your love for Christ and your love for others. When we bear each other's burdens, we are exhibiting and showing evidence that we are followers of Jesus. But what if we refuse? What if we don't try 
to bear each other's burdens. Well, as a church, it'll make us look more like a country club than a church. And as Christians, it'll, it'll be a little difficult to, to see the love of Christ if, if we're just always keeping to ourselves and never looking for ways to serve and share with others. Now, does that mean that every single Christian and every single church has to meet every single need? No, it, it's impossible. We can't do everything. There are some things that we will do collectively as a church, like, like a garage giveaway. We'll, we'll come together and we'll do something together. But there are hundreds of other things that we encourage you, just go do. It doesn't have to be in the bulletin. It doesn't have to be an announcement. Just go serve people in the name of Christ. We can't meet every need but are we giving it a shot? You know, I think we gave it a pretty fantastic shot yesterday. You know, it's, it's amazing the volunteers that come together to make our, our garage giveaway happen. And again, if you're not familiar, this is where we had five, about 550 people come through yesterday and they got free furniture and free clothes and free linens and, and free housewares. And the best part, we had very little toys left. I love, there was one young girl, she looked like she was a teenager to me. She came with two huge bags and got on the elevator and she goes, I've got toys for all of my brothers and sisters and all of my cousins. <laughs> it was great. So, so yesterday was fantastic, but here's the thing. As believers, garage giveaway is one day a year. We also have to be giveaway people all year long. It has to be kind of a, a pattern of who we are. We do the one time because it's unique and special, but then we let that stir us just to be those people all the time, that we look for ways to serve others, that we become giveawayers all the time. And sometimes giving away means we give away money. Sometimes giving ways, we give away time. Sometimes we give away possessions or, or access to something. Sometimes we give away wisdom. And sometimes the way we give away is the tough love of saying no. So we can't meet all the needs, but, but is there a pattern that we are sharers? Do we share? Do we give? Are we cheerful givers and cheerful receivers? Why is Paul being so detailed about all this, though? Why is he wanting to go on and on in, in his thankfulness toward them? Look what he says in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. This is beautiful. Paul says, look, sharing and, and caring and, and giving and bearing one another's burdens, it's something that's going to benefit you. It's for your good. How? How is it good for you? Well, in one sense, yes, it, it makes us feel better you know, to help someone. But it's so much deeper than that. One day Jesus was, was speaking and he was talking about what it means to be afflicted and persecuted for following him. In other words, the, the same kind of affliction that Paul was experiencing as he's writing his letter to the folks at Philippi. And, and this is what Jesus said, Matthew 5 verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. This is not just about good feelings. This is about the eternal state of our souls and our minds and our hearts. Jesus said, don't worry if you're afflicted here. Don't worry if you're sharing and, and you're a little nervous about sharing. It's okay because your reward is great in heaven if you are living and sharing for me. Jack Arnold said this, in this present life, we place so much emphasis upon temporal things, yet within a few short years at best, each one of us knows we shall stand naked before God. 
He goes on. At that time, we will have no wealth, no money, no titles, no influence. Everything will be left behind at death, and all material values for us will be suddenly worth absolutely nothing. Thanks, Dow, for that great holiday message. We appreciate the encouragement. It's true, though, right? But then he goes on to say this. As responsible Christians, we are to make our money work now so as to have eternal results. In other words, how we invest now, it it matters for us. It doesn't just matter for the kingdom. It it matters for our own hearts and minds and souls. Somebody quipped it this way, it is better to have your bank in heaven than to have your heaven in a bank. (laughs) Now, someone might be thinking, yep, see, here we go. Back to the money thing. Now he's even bringing up the bank. Here we go. He's getting ready to hit us up for something. Okay, I got it. But I'm not. In fact, I want to shift gears and and shift away from money and, and shift away from the bank to just remind us that it doesn't always strategically involve money. There are so many other ways that God has called us to share. And I just want to give a a real practical one here. I have often this year quoted from Vanitha Reisner. She's a wife and a mom and an author, lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. And and this is what Vanitha wrote a couple of years ago now, I think. The week after my infant son Paul died, I went to pick up my two-year-old daughter from preschool. No one said a word to me other than, here she is. I realized they felt awkward, but the silence was crushing. I barely made it out the door before bursting into tears. It's hard knowing what to say when someone has experienced a great loss. Saying, I'm so sorry, feels trite, so it's easier just to say nothing. But for those who are suffering, silence hammers the hurt even deeper, especially during the Christmas season when the ache of loss is intensified. The weight of tragedies, the death of a loved one, divorce, disease, divided families, depression, and disaster can all feel heavier at the holidays as the festivities acutely remind us of what we have lost. But then she steps us in just a little closer. I have buried a child, endured four miscarriages, gone through an unwanted divorce, parented troubled teenagers, and continue to deal with a painful, deteriorating disability. So I understand how difficult this time of year can be. And she goes on to give some advice for how we can help people suffering at Christmas. It's too long for me to share all of her suggestions here. I'm just going to share one. But, but if you'll go to my notes at the, on the website at the very bottom of my notes this week, you can uh, click on a link. Or I felt like what she's saying is so important, I made it into a little booklet. And there's some in the back hall. If we run out today, I'll have some more uh, available next week. But, but this is what she said. I just, this is just the, the last suggestion that she had. Allow them to grieve and don't try to fix them. I am still indebted to the friends who let me weep and vent without analyzing or judging me. Trying to fix people only deepens their grief. Unsolicited advice feels like criticism. 
It hurts to be told that others are thriving under the same circumstances and then to get suggestions on what to do differently. Everyone's healing is unique. Negative comparison makes the wound even deeper. Instead, we can remind our friends that the real joy of Christmas is not in family or friends or gift-giving or parties, but in the incredible fact that God incarnate came to earth and dwelt among us, that Jesus took on flesh for us so that we would have life eternal in him. Remind them that God's grace is sufficient and his word revives the soul, but do not bludgeon them with many sermons or pepper them with platitudes. God's ways are mysterious, and we do not understand why calamity comes. But then she shares two just super powerful things. And and if we could do anything, if we could just tattoo these two thoughts on our brains for the next few weeks and the next few years, it'd be tremendous. This is what she says. Remind them that our faithful Savior will never fail or forsake them. That Jesus walks with them and he weeps with them. Remind them that he knows every detail of their struggle. And she says this. Remind them that for all of us, the unshakable hope of Christmas lies solely in Emmanuel. For our God has come to us and will forevermore be with us. Friend, that is sharing. That is caring. That is is bearing one another's burden. And that is profitable to your soul. And it is profitable to your mind. And it is profitable to your heart. And so may God give us the grace to not forget to share. May God give us the strength and the power, even in our weakness, even in our struggles, to continue to share. Because it's not just that sharing is caring for us. It's that sharing reminds us of how much God has cared for us. So much so that he sent Jesus to bear our greatest burden. Oh, come, let us adore him.